Blog Talk Radio. Greetings in the name of the Most High. Welcome to Hempware Radio. This is your host, Tyler Hoff, a.k.a. Tyler Hemp. It's a fabulous day to spread seeds, seeds of life, seeds of love, seeds of peace, and depending on where you live, seeds of hemp. Cannabis hemp is possibly the most grown, utilized crop throughout all of human history or humanity's history, and we are dedicated and committed here every Tuesday to share with you the benefits, the value, and the uses of hemp. So we broadcast live every Tuesday, 11 a.m., and all the shows are archived on the iTunes podcast library under HempAware Radio. You can also tune in on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Hemp Aware to listen live every Tuesday, or you can also review and share the archived hemp episodes. So check it out, share, and empower your friends and your family with the incredible benefits and value that hemp has to offer us in terms of food, clothing, shelter, and possibly thousands and thousands of other uses. It's... um, a beautiful day in sunny Southern California, and I have a very special guest on the line. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. Our topic today is the difference between hemp and marijuana. And before we dive deeper, I'd like for us to take a look at the word marijuana and cannabis. This is certainly a word and a plant that has been demonized, criminalized, and slandered beyond reason. So let the haters hate while we benefit from this God-given gift of life. For the times they are changing, the laws are changing, the people's minds are changing, they're realizing the stupidity of making cannabis illegal in the United States. And I believe strongly that cannabis hemp is going to be legalized in the United States and we're going to jump on the bandwagon just like Canada, England, France, Germany, Austria, Australia, and about 20 other nations that are growing it legally and benefiting financially, um, 
you know, in terms of the environment, in terms of uh, providing jobs. So this is an incredible opportunity for the United States to pull itself out of this trap that we brought ourselves into. So this is going to be a great episode about the difference between industrial hemp and cannabis as a medicine. And to assist me with this is our very special guest, Paul Stanford, the creator of the Hempstock Festival in Portland, Oregon. So, Paul, what is uh, our – let me see if you're on the line. Are you here with us today, Paul? Yes, I am. Thank you, Tyler. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much for coming on the line with us today. It's an honor and a privilege to have somebody that has been so involved in the hemp industry. Uh, how long have you been involved in the hemp industry, Paul? Well, if you go to the Great Book of Hemp, on page three and four, it says my companies back in 1988 and 89 were the first ones to begin importing hemp paper and fabric. To go back a little bit further, uh, a friend of mine, Jack Herrer, late great author of The Emperor Wears No Clothes, a book about hemp, I met him in Mm -hmm. 82 right there in Southern California, and he uh, wrote the first edition of The Emperor Wears No Clothes in my house in Portland, Oregon, in 1985. And so wow. uh, that wow. is kind of how long I've been involved in it. I first read Jack's uh, a paper he put out called the CMI, or the California Marijuana Initiative White Paper, in a Yippie organization. Yippies were some anti-war activists during the Vietnam War. And uh, there's uh, that talked about him, and that became the the it was the genesis or the kernel of his book. And so, uh, but it had been covered in in some other books too that I read. Well, thank you for thank you for providing a space for Jack to 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 get that flowing and to get that information to get the ball rolling to uh, hemp education. Sure. Well, I went out and did some research, and it was part of the book too. I'm in the dedication of that, and in. Chris Conrad's first book, Hemp Lifeline to the Future. I found all these quotes from Jefferson and Washington by going through the Library of Congress's compilations of their their writings. And uh, wow. found that Thomas Jefferson had actually invented a device to process hemp. And uh, uh, he had it published anonymously. He said to uh, forestall any interloping entrepreneurs from profiting from his work and to get it out there as widely as possible. Wow. So this country was literally founded on cannabis hemp. Is that right? Yes, very much so. In fact, the first laws in the United States about hemp or cannabis or marijuana required that farmers grow hemp and uh, that they give uh, 10% of their land had to be used for cultivating hemp because the British Navy needed it for sails for their ships, ropes for their ships, and this stuff called oakum, a pitch made from uh, the plant to seal the boards uh, so the water wouldn't come in uh, when they were sailing across the sea. Right. Well, since today, Paul, our title is What is the Difference Between Hemp and Marijuana? Can you please explain to us the essential distinction between industrial hemp and the medicinal cannabis, you know, as it's used as a medicine? What What is the essential distinction? Well, 
that that's a very good question. There's a lot of confusion around that very point. And that confusion's been instilled primarily by the people who don't want to compete. Uh and a late great friend of ours of uh, Jack and mine uh, by the name of Gatewood Galbraith called them the petrochemical pharmaceutical military industrial transnational corporate elite fascist sons of a bitches. So that's uh uh, the people who basically made up the whole marijuana myth because hemp has been used as a fuel going back to prehistoric times. In fact, it could be the very first crop purposely cultivated by humans uh, well over 12,000 years ago. And all archaeologists agree that it's among the first crops purposely sown by people. But the difference between hemp and marijuana, if you look at the law, the law says that hemp is the stems, stalks, and sterilized seeds of the cannabis sativa plant, and that marijuana is the leaves, flowers, and viable seeds of the cannabis sativa plant. And so that's what U.S. law and most other laws around the world say. Well, obviously, you can't grow the sterile seeds and the stalks and the stems without having leaves and flowers, too. According to the the law now in the states that allow medical, I mean, excuse me, allow industrial hemp, and the countries like uh, in the European Union and Canada, is that hemp is uh, the cannabis sativa plant that has less than three tenths of one percent of THC in its flowers, and so. That is a special patented strain that's produced by a French company. And so the only way really to grow that strain is to import the seeds from France. And, in fact, those mm-hmm. seeds are – it's an unstable cultivar, an unstable variety. So the offspring of that ultra-low THC hemp, what I call dwarf hemp, the offspring of that naturally reverts to having more than 1% THC. So you've got to keep going back to the French to get those seeds. Mm. But if you look at mm. sterile, wild hemp here in the United States, what was used to for canvas, rope, lace, linen, oil, and, and fiber, what that was, uh, uh, and food, that was generally somewhere between 2 and 5%. THC. So you go to the wild field, and there's actually a study of that feral wild hemp that was published in Notre Dame's uh, journal. It's called the American Midlands Naturalist is the name of that journal. This article in 1975 said that uh, an acre of hemp produces about 8,500 pounds of seeds. Now, that's the feral hemp that's somewhere between 2 and 5% THC. If you look at the low THC hemp that they allow to be cultivated in, in Canada and Europe, it produces about 600 pounds of seed. So you can see there's a big difference between 600 pounds of seed wow. and 8,500 oh pounds of seed. And so, yeah, and that's just the feral hemp. And so I, I'm kind of a heretic to some hempsters because I uh, say, you know, that they're both cannabis sativa. Cannabis is a species. It's not a genus. Uh, it's not like, Correct. oh, it's got, a, it's got different varieties. It's like you, you look at dogs, and some dogs are chihuahuas, and other dogs are rottweilers and Irish wolfhounds. Mm-hmm. And they're still mm-hmm. can, canis 
familiar Alice. They're still dogs. They have the same yeah. species name uh, when it comes to, to the scientific designation. The same is true with the artificial designation of uh, low THC hemp and uh, and the cannabis for social use or medical use. And so the real so, difference has to do with the legal definition, but it's really the same plant. Right. So it's 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 growing the same plant, but would you, let's say somebody, a farmer wanted to grow cannabis sativa for industrial purposes, would they grow that plant differently than if they were going to grow it for medicinal oh, purposes? Oh, certainly. It depends on if they're growing it for fibers. In which case, they would tax the seeds in as closely as possible to one another. Or if they're growing it for seed, oil, and protein. In which case, they give the plants room to bush out and produce more uh, seed, oil, and protein. If you look up Got in it. Canada right now, most uh, they don't really have a use for the fiber. They're mainly growing it for the seed, oil, and protein. And right. uh, the b- largest market up in Canada is for body care products and food. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, if they could grow the feral hemp that grows here in the United States, they would uh, get a lot more production, and their price would come down. But the whole designation of low THC hemp really has to do with the continued centralization of economic and political control. It's all about fuel and fiber. And it's those industries that made up the whole marijuana myth. Right. So, in other words, the people that are out there claiming, oh, you know, these people that are wanting to legalize hemp, they're doing it just just to legalize uh, marijuana for medicinal reasons or recreational. What would you say to that? I mean, obviously, it's a stupid uh, a stupid argument that you know people want to legalize hemp for the medicinal purposes. We just want the whole plant to be legal so that we can benefit from benefit from it in the many different ways, right? Exactly, exactly. The the designation of the amount of THC in the plant is uh, for political purposes. It has right. nothing to do with the amount of seed oil. In fact, you know, seeds are only produced in the flowers. So the way they right. lower the THC is by breeding a species or a variety of cannabis that has less flowers. But obviously, if it has less flowers, it has less seeds. And if it has less seeds, it means it has less seed oil, and that's the key here. Because you can take hemp seed oil as a biodiesel fuel, pour it into any diesel engine, turn the key, and drive away. And so uh, it's three times, if you take the numbers for the feral hemp, it's more than three times more productive than any other seed oil crop. So it would be dramatically cheaper than any other biodiesel resource out there if we were allowed to cultivate it, not based on its THC amount, but based on what produces the most seed oil and protein. The seed oil and protein go together. Right, because the, the protein is made from the seed, correct? And the oil. Yeah, and then the biodiesel... How is the biodiesel made? Is that from the plant material through fermentation, or is that through the actual seed? That's the seed oil. Hold on just one second. Okay, we're going to go to a break. We will be back in just a moment. 
with Paul Stanford. Thanks so much for joining us. Have you visited BullKempWarehouse.com today? Discover dozens of Bullkemp products for great prices. Hemp seeds for your salads and smoothies, custom-tailored hemp clothing for your profession, hemp fabrics, hemp foods, along with hemp body care goods and tons of other great items. Visit BulkHempWarehouse.com today to get the best prices and a huge variety of healthy hemp goods for you and your family. Hemp protein, hemp oils, hemp yarn, hemp books, and raw hemp fibers. Connect with us today and tell us what your project is and how we can help integrate hemp seamlessly. Just visit BulkHempWarehouse.com today. Welcome back. This is your host, Tyler Hemp, otherwise known as Tyler Hoff. We have an incredible hemp entrepreneur on the line today. Thank you so much for being on the line with us, Paul. My next question is... Well, thanks for having what, me. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that people are consuming cannabis as a medicine? And then I have a second part to that question. So first of all, what are some of the ways that are people consuming cannabis as a medicine? Well, uh, you know, obviously smoking is probably the most prevalent. And I've been on the forefront for well over a decade trying to educate people about the alternative to inhalation, uh, and that's vaporization. So vaporization is, you know, smoking happens when it burns, and that's over 452 degrees. So once it's over 450 degrees, it burns. But vaporization takes place before that, it takes place uh, generally in the three to 400 degree range, and I think about 360 is, is the ideal spot for vaporization. And that turns all the plant oils and resins into a smokeless vapor, so there are no combustion byproducts. In fact, uh, uh, there, is, there are studies of smoking versus vaporization, and in a water pipe, you're burning the marijuana the most quickly and that destroys 75% of the medicine in the burning process. A pipe uh, destroys about 60% of the medicine in the burning process. A joint, the most efficient way to smoke, destroys about uh, 50%. And so you get about 50% in, that you can inhale through inhalation. But vaporization doesn't destroy any of it. And actually there's some left over in the material after you vaporize, depending on how thoroughly you vaporize it there's still a little bit left in there. If it's not thoroughly vaporized, you could have the majority of the plant resin and oil in there. But cannabis has been used as a topical agent and for taken internally since prehistoric times. In fact, Johnson & Johnson has a number of hemp-based topical medicines right up until 1930. You could get plain hemp wow. or skin conditions, you could get it mixed with aspirin for psoriasis. Uh, I have a collection of about 350 antique medical marijuana bottles and containers. And so taking it topically was very, very common. It was used, uh, there were a thousand different uh, varieties of cannabis for removing uh, warts and calluses and uh, uh, corns, corn remover. Yeah. And then... uh, uh, but 
for medicinal use, most widely it's been used internally. Most of the major pharmaceutical companies, uh, some of them still in existence today, like Park Davis and Eli Lilly, they had a variety of different cannabis medicines in their uh, company's offerings. Uh, there uh, were several varieties of just cannabis extract, fluid extract, tincture extracts, and even a uh, powdered extract from the flowers or powdered hashish. We might call it teeth, but they called it powdered extract of cannabis indica. And so they sold little bottles of powdered hashish as a, a medicine. So, so, as you're, well. you, so you're saying that cannabis as a medicine has been embedded into the fabric of humanity, into the pharmacopoeia of doctors and pharmacists throughout ancient times, all the way up until the, the late 1800s, early 1900s? Until the 1900s, a little bit less than 100 years ago is when uh, uh, they started to try to remove it from the available medicines, and they did that first by taxing it very heavily here in the United States in the 30s. And so, so there uh, you go, folks. Uh, you, you've heard it from uh, Paul Stanford, one of the one of the uh, most prevalent and uh, popular hempstrepreneurs in in the cannabis hemp industry. He's sharing with you these truths that you can do your own research. Don't take our word for it, folks. Go do your homework. Look up your history. Know your history because we are being held back from being able to use something that can solve our financial crisis our environmental crisis, our health crisis, our uh, fuel and war crisis, all of these things can be solved with one thing. And I think that's why Paul is dedicated to empowering and sharing this knowledge and doing what he can to, to legislate and, and get the word out uh, about legalizing this plant here in the U.S. Uh, Paul, what is another way of using cannabis medicinally Let's say somebody didn't want to experience the psychoactive effects, but they want to consume medicinal cannabis. How could they consume it and get benefit from it? Let's say they're dealing with some sort of life-threatening illness. You know, it, it really is kind of a miracle, all the different ways that cannabis has medicinal utility from uh, an anti-cancer agent, something that kills tumors. In fact, most people would be surprised to learn that the United States government has a patent on cannabinoids to fight cancer and pain. The United States Health and Human Services uh, filed and received a patent about a decade ago for the medical use of cannabis and the cannabinoids that are in cannabis. The cannabinoids are the unique chemical uh, compounds that are found in cannabis. And so, on one hand, the Drug Enforcement Administration, which rules uh, uh, drug control in the United States, says that marijuana has no medical utility at all. They say they keep it at a Schedule One narcotic, saying that uh, it doesn't have any medical use. While on the other hand, Health and Human Services has patented it for its medical utility for cancer and pain. Uh, well, like you guys said that, before, I believe, say that again? I was just going to say, to me, that one argument right there should be brought up, you know, to the Supreme Court or whoever needs to hear that 
in order to change the laws. That right there is the most contradictory thing. That right there should be a legitimate reason for us to legalize it. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. We just have to get that message out there. But I don't know if the courts are the solution. You know, the courts will often say, you know, that's a political issue, and you've got to resolve that through the political process, through legislation. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, you know, they did in in Washington and Colorado. We tried to do it where I live, in Oregon, and uh, California had uh, Prop 19 back in 2010, and uh, uh, that's the way the courts basically mandate we resolve the issue. And so we're stuck with either the legislature or the initiative process. And so uh, okay. uh, that's what, so what we've got to do, basically. So for our listeners, I ask this to all of the people that I interview, what do you recommend that all of our listeners can do personally? If there is one thing that they could do today that will help move this move the hemp plant being legalized to move that forward, what is one thing they can do today that will contribute to that movement? There's a lot of different things they can do. And so one of them is to educate others, especially your elected representatives. Educate them and uh, let them know. And that, that, But not just them, but the media and your family and your friends. That's the place to start, is learn about it yourself, educate yourself, and educate others. The next big thing is support organizations that are trying to to make that change, whether in California it be the new California initiative. There's a group in California called California Normal that deserves your support. I have an organization. You can find out more about it at hemp.org. That's H-E-M-P dot O-R-G. We have a group campaign for the restoration and regulation of hip. We're the ones that sponsored uh, uh, Oregon's unsuccessful ballot measure 80 in the 2011 campaign. We got 47% of the vote. The polls, though, oh. since November, over the past seven months, have swung enormously. And we've seen now that, according to our latest poll, that we have 63% support, which is a you know 16% wow. swing since the election seven months ago. So the the fact that Colorado and Washington uh, passed, you know, their initiatives has had a uh, the kind of a Berlin Wall effect in terms of its how the, the fall of the Berlin Wall led to the end of communism. Uh, the, uh, the passage of the initiatives in Colorado and Washington has... Uh, uh, caused an enormous change in public support for this. So that's right. the main thing is educate yourself, educate your elected officials, educate the media, and support organizations, join organizations, participate in the process. We have to take Very charge of the process. It's not No one else is going to do it. When you say, when are they going to do it? Well, it, it, they will do it when you're there doing it with them. That's how, exactly. how it works in our system, you know. And so we right, just got to get involved and take charge of our own liberty. And that's the, the exactly. bottom line for uh, you can sit around and, and, and get high, but uh, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Hell, I enjoy that. But uh, you need to go out there and educate yourself. And once you've educated yourself, you're ready to educate others 
about the benefits of hemp for fuel, fiber, food, and medicine, and adult social use. I don't like the term recreational because it's pejorative. It has negative implications. It's not like you're going to go out and drink alcohol recreationally. They talk about social drinking. And so uh, uh, it's not a recreational activity. Recreation is when you play baseball or go for a walk or uh, play a a game, right, you know, with somebody else. But this is a social activity. And cannabis is much more social than many other substances because, I mean, you know, we all passed around the joints among our our small group of friends when we we started doing it. That's definitely a social activity. But uh, exactly. uh, it, well, it's really, uh, we're, we're reaching the tipping point when it comes to uh, the political process. And so a lot of the danger, a lot of the stigma has been removed. It's kind of like the, uh, the gay rights movement back in the 70s, the civil rights movement in the 60s. Finally, the uh, cannabis and marijuana movement have reached that tipping point. But you've got to realize that not only is hemp cannabis, marijuana, the oldest agricultural crop. It's also the most productive crop. It produces more fuel from the seed oil. Now, I had mentioned a while ago that you can take 8,500 pounds. uh, Sorry to to cut you off, brother, but we have 30 seconds left in the show, and uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to have you on on today. I do look forward to having you back. Um, It's uh, Hemp Aware Radio here with your Tyler Hemp, thank you so much, Paul. We loved having you, and hopefully uh, would you uh, be willing to come back on the show in a future date? Certainly. You just tell me when. Awesome. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. This is Hemp Aware Radio with your host, Tyler Hemp. It's been an honor uh, to serve you, and uh, may you be blessed today. <laughs> 